you are a son, if you are a daughter, if you are a spouse, try to be a, a, show a little grace. It wasn't a self-centered act. You can be angry, you can be whatever you are, but show just the slightest bit of grace. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we don't talk much about it. And when we do, most of us are not very good at it, and that includes me. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and better conversations with attempt survivors. Now we're talking about suicide. This may not be a good fit for everyone, so please take that into account before you listen. But I do hope that you listen because there really is so much to learn. We've been launched for less than a month and have had listeners in 34 countries. Places like Qatar and Indonesia and Finland and Australia. And I'm glad that these stories from these survivors are getting out there, and I hope that continues. One way you can help is by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. I know I'm asking a lot. You've got a lot of choices out there. But if you do those things, it really does help more people hear these stories. Now, if you have a story you'd like to share, or you know someone who does, you can reach out to us at hello at suicidenoted.com. Today, I am talking with April. April lives in Virginia, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, how are you? Good. Good. Thank you for joining me, and also for being flexible with our time. Oh, no problem. Most people who have a suicide attempt, or, or more than one, tend not to talk about it openly. Correct. And you wouldn't be here uh, unless you were somewhat open about talking about it. I'm wondering why. Um, um, I have one attempt uh, four years ago, and it honestly has taken me four years to be willing to to talk about it really at all um, because it's it's so stigmatizing. It's like I can't imagine anything in life more stigmatizing, honestly. Yeah. What does that mean? People judge. People make assumptions. Uh, pretty much everything I've done in my 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 life, my career, my being a mom, my being a, a friend, pretty much everything is uh, called into question. Uh, just uh, my mental health takes precedent and makes those other things um, not maybe, I don't know, not as valuable, not as, uh, maybe that it was all like a farce, like because of, of that event. All the other stuff that you just mentioned the, is a farce because of that suicide attempt is like the big thing. Correct. Like, uh, I'm a great mom. I'm good at what I do. I'm like, those are not things that I want to be clouded and I don't want to cloud them myself by 
sharing with people, anyone really, about the attempt until very recently. So what changed? I think that I have seen, I've witnessed other people um, sharing their stories uh, more often than not inappropriately, but uh, other people sharing their stories and um, not getting that harsh judgment uh, as much as I would have thought. And um, that not really ending up being the defining factor in who Mm -hmm. they are person, I guess. Are you comfortable talking about the attempt itself? Sure. Um, Four years ago, I was living in um, Sarasota, Florida uh, with um, my three kids. Uh, One was in college uh, at that time, and then two were at home still. And um, I had been really, really, really depressed, really low mood, really down, really anxious for, I guess, about a year. And it just kept intensifying, intensifying. Uh, and then I decided that I was going to research it and going to make sure I had things in place for my children. Uh, I have a special needs child. Um, so I was kind of... I mean, looking back on it, it was ridiculous, but I was putting into place everything so that he would be okay. And I um, went to the Sunshine Skyway uh, Bridge in Tampa and jumped. So basically that is what happened. And I really had zero, I there. it never crossed my mind that it would not be a completed suicide. So the aftermath never really crossed my mind. Mm. But you were wrong. I was wrong. I woke, it was like two and a half weeks later, I woke up in the hospital, uh, in a medical hospital. And then kind of things played out a little bit, what had happened. There's a guy out in San Francisco, you may be familiar with him, uh, he speaks a lot about suicide, suicide prevention, and he uh, he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. And one of the things he talks about is when he jumped, he had an immediate sense of regret, immediate. And it, I, I'm wondering if you felt that way. I, I honestly don't remember. Um, I do remember jumping, um, mm-hmm. but. Um, I honestly, I do remember the last moments before I did that I was questioning whether or not this indeed was the best decision, but I just felt like it was for my kids. And that's, that's pretty much the last thing I remember. Yeah. And so what's it like wanting to end your life and then waking up? That must be a very conflicted feeling. I was confused, honestly, at first, um, because I had been placed into a um, a medically induced coma. Then kind of when I woke up, I, I was confused. Like, was I alive? Was I not alive? Like, uh, why does my body not hurt if I'm in the hospital? And like, I have all these tubes coming out. And then kind of... I started to put the pieces together. I couldn't really talk about it. Like I couldn't talk about it with my family. And 
uh, my kids did not come see me. Um, so it kind of like I had to do a lot of the processing, like just kind of in my head privately or maybe with a nurse sometimes. Mm-hmm. Why weren't you able to? You said you couldn't talk. I mean, I, I was able to talk. Uh, my mom, the first thing my mom said was, oh, I know it was a big mistake and a big misunderstanding. So we can just move on from here. So, I mean, she just kind of shut that down before there was really even any chance to explore it. Right. I Initially, I mean, I, I went into a treatment program uh, in Clearwater, Florida, uh, once I got out of the regular hospital and like, I talked about it a little bit there, not, not a lot, but a little bit. Is that helpful? Yeah, it it was helpful. I mean, I was in treatment with, um, it, I'm a social worker and, uh, I, I guess because I, uh, have a pretty acute awareness of, of like people and I don't really want to trigger people and I'm, I'm super conscious about that sometimes. And even when I was in treatment, I just, I was, I was reluctant to talk about it because I didn't, I didn't want to trigger anyone. I didn't want anyone to, um, I don't know. I guess I didn't want anyone to have that visual. I, I just didn't, I didn't, it would have been a good time to share a lot of it. I just was very, I was just aware that it needed to be in my past. Yeah. So what were the four years like after built up your life again, I suppose? The first year was very rocky. Um, my kids knew. My my one son, I, he, I don't know that he knew, but he knew something. He knew that I disappeared for a while. To try to answer those questions, how do you answer them to mm-hmm. kind of uh, the depression was still there. The anxiety was still there. Uh, how do I proceed with that? Still as part of me, but not take over, I guess, again. So it was a, it was a lot of figuring out uh, kind of how much to be in the world, how to be in the world, that kind of thing. And then I got to a point where it was kind of another turning point a couple years ago. I guess it'll be two years in November um, when I knew that if I was going to really get better, I needed to leave Sarasota. I needed kind of, I needed to have a, a way to start over just because my, my mom was in Sarasota. I had friends there who had now defined me by that as much as I didn't talk about it, as much as I constantly was positive, as much as I did any of that, it still defined me. So I started looking for positions um, to teach and to uh, do research. And I ended up moving to Williamsburg. That has made the biggest difference in my life, without a doubt. Absolutely without a doubt. The work you're doing at that school? Yes. And being able to come here and my daughter was at that point in college. and. so it was just my one son and I, and he doesn't talk about it. And so it, it was it was on me to decide what, how much, if I wanted to share anything with anyone and that what I shared would be on my terms. That made a, a huge difference because 
And I am sure when I am in Sarasota, when, when I was still there, that when I would go out that I am sure people weren't really saying, oh, that's, that's April, the one who did this, but there, there were, there were whispering there. I mean, that, that was a part, partly reality. And then my misperception of the reality just made it worse. So when, when I moved here, I didn't have, didn't have to worry about that. I, I could create it for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I did. When you, when, when you had shared with me about how your mom responded, yeah. I think about what others have also shared with me about how people in their lives respond. And I'm always curious to better understand what is either helpful or harmful in the way people respond and engage with you if and when you talk about this. I, I've gone through I've gone through different phases where I have wondered like what it had been it would have been like if I had kind of been able to talk about it right in the beginning, uh, if I had been able to be open with my family. Um, but my family, I have a, my, I have a good family, but they're just very closed. They very much, you don't talk about it, like just kind of smile and move on. And so it just, it, it I, I knew it wasn't going to happen. I knew that it wouldn't be hurt. I, I knew that I wouldn't be hurt. I knew I would be told it was a mistake and that I didn't mean to do it. And I knew that I did mean to do it. So I just, I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want further to be kind of pushed into a corner. My personality, uh, that was a, a way better fit to just kind of pretend it didn't happen or to go into a program for depression and anxiety and just kind of move forward. I think that for for my personality, um, that was way better because uh, I'm not someone to call attention to myself. I'm not someone to talk openly about what's going on. I'm I'm not closed, but I'm not open. So if, if I had been just pushed and pushed and pushed with questions, I think I, that would have caused me to shut down as well. Sure. Is there a way in which people can engage with you about this where you don't close down? If I can sense that someone truly is interested in hearing what I have to say and actually hearing what I have to say, not filling in my sentences, like one sentence in, then I, I can open the door a little bit and then feel it out. So I guess when people genuinely listen and genuinely want to know and understand what I have to say and just hear it, like don't mm -hmm. minimize, don't Minimizing is as damaging to me as uh, putting a gigantic exclamation point on it. We really need to do any of those things. We just need to have a discussion kind of as it was an intense period in my life. Do you have any idea or sense as to why so many people 
whether they mean to or not minimize it or invalidate it, even if they're well-intentioned. Why do you think we do that so often? I know that my mom, my close friends felt like, I think they were quick to minimize it. They were quick to shut it down because they did not want to have a conversation. So by pretending like it didn't happen or by acting like it was a mistake or it was something that I terribly regretted. And for a long time, I did not regret it. It just, it shuts off the conversation before it can even start. That's one way to do it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously I'm someone who's comfortable talking about it or I wouldn't be doing this right now with you. But I'm, I just don't really understand why it seems like people are so averse to, to hearing it. I genuinely think that people like to take something, put it in a box, wrap it up, put a bow on it, and kind of put it under the tree. And that's, this isn't something that you can really wrap up and put away. Yeah, for sure. And you do work in this field or connected to mental health, right? Yes. I am a social worker and I am a researcher. I, my specialty and my master's program was crisis, crisis intervention um, at Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, one of the few programs that actually offered that. So I had worked in it a lot. I mean, I got my license when I was 25. And it, it really wasn't something that I had experienced. I, I had experienced it, nothing to that intensity. Um, I was good at what I did before this happened. And maybe I was bad at it for about a year while I was trying to think. But I didn't practice from that year, to be honest. I took time off because I was at risk of losing my license, actually, if anyone in the... Uh, licensing board had found out what happened, my license could have been called into question. Um, so I just quickly took, made my license inactive, did what I needed to do. Uh, but I think since I have come back, I'm like better at what I've done than I ever was even before. Because I think I, I really do hear people more now. Um, the work I'm doing right at this moment is informed my parents who have lost a child. And I, I can hear what they have to say much better than I previously would have. I'm okay with, with extreme emotion, which previously maybe I would not have been. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting that you point out, I imagine in your, in your job, you have a lot of different functions. And the one that you point out as perhaps the most important or certainly one of the most important is just is hearing what people are saying. Yes. You're not necessarily fixing them or have a magic pill. Well, it sounds like part of what helps is to hear them. Yes. Mm. And to know that I can't, I can't fix it and I can't change it, but I can listen and help guide the conversation in a way where they can eventually kind of fix it themselves. Yeah. That's got to be tough, challenging. Yes. Yeah. I'm wondering what you would tell or share with people 
who are in their lives trying to support somebody who is really down? The most important thing is to see the whole person, see the entire person from like head to toe to fingers to every strand of hair, like see the person and understand that that's a part of them, but it does not define them. It doesn't make them who they are, that their depression, their anxiety, their obsessive tendencies, their, their suicide attempt does not make them whatever it is you perceive them to be in your mind. It's, it's the same person. It's, you're just seeing a different piece of it. You're just different. You're seeing a different, maybe like slice of the pie, but it, it is not the whole person. And not every question, not every conversation needs to be centered around how do you feel? How are you doing? Why mm-hmm. are you doing that? You shouldn't be doing that. If you would only just kind of have a normal conversations that, that it doesn't even have to address the issue. Right. Yeah. Don't it's tell someone. You, you, you really need to try. If you only took medication X, all your problems would be better. Like everything would be great if you only took medication Y. Like, don't even do that. Don't, don't go down that road. How many times have you heard those types of sentences or platitudes or quick fixes? My mom is the queen of, oh my gosh, April. I heard, I heard that this medication, like this medication, you'll never have anxiety again. You have to tell your doctor that you need to take that. And I just cut now I just roll my eyes and say, okay. Um, and with no intention ever of doing that, but yes, all the time. Are you Midwestern? I grew up in Virginia. Oh, Virginia. Okay. Okay. I don't know why I associate Midwestern with those kinds of responses. Like, but yeah, I do. Fair or not. So in addition to the move and then the work, what else, if anything, helped? For you to feel a little bit better. I don't want to assume you do, but what's gotten you to where you are, if it's therapy or medication or perhaps other things? Oh, absolutely. Therapy has. I didn't do a whole lot of therapy prior to the attempt, um, but since then, I really have, I have a, a very good therapist now that I see two times a week, not just one. I do use medications, medication for my mood. And then I take a PRN as needed medications for anxiety. For me, and I, I, I know that I, possibly I'm in the minority. Um, I need to not, not talk about it. Like, I mean, a lot of people will start talking about it and like, talk about it 24 seven, like, And I'm not saying that, but I mean, I literally don't really talk about myself to anybody ever about anything except to say, oh, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? And then kind of move on. So to not, if I'm having a a rough time, if, if things are getting out of kilter, if things are getting out of sync to not pretend in my mind that that's not happening, but to just be open about it and to even say if I was a hundred percent sure it would be success- successful, I would do it again in this moment. 
just to say what I'm experiencing and um, not shut myself down, not censor myself. And that means I have to be around the right people. I have to be around sure. people who are going to allow me to to take it a little further than I'm fine, great, thanks, how are you? Who are going to allow that and not quick be like, oh my God, you can't do that. Do you need, I've, I've literally had people, like if I say, you know, I'm getting really down again, it's really frustrating. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. And then I, I don't need the first words to, oh my God, do you need to go back in the hospital? No, I don't need to right. go back. But that's like, can be an immediate reaction as well. Right. Take a breath. Let's talk. Do you have people in your life who you can engage in that way or will engage with you in that way? Yes. Mm. And you said, how many kids do you have? I have three. Do you share with them or do they ever ask about it? My middle uh, child has autism. And uh, so that's kind of a no brainer. We don't really go there. Right. My daughter, um, I have, uh, no, I mean, I, I, we have had some kind of mental health conversations, uh, but nothing, nothing really deep. And I'm, unfortunately, my oldest son, um, he, he is not, he, he's not accepting at all about what, what has happened. Um, and really, if that's the absolute worst part about it. That's got to be really hard. It is very hard. He was in college in New York City when it kind of when it happened. And and I, I really have not had a, a relationship with him since then. I mean, I, I've mm. seen him. We talk. We kind of do the song and dance. But we don't have a, really a relationship. Yeah. One day we will. But for now, we don't. Yeah. So right like you were saying, it's not always a, a, a pretty bow and everything's no. good now. You know, there's a fallout, there's effects, there's consequences. Yeah, and what happened with my son? And I, I mean, I guess this is something that I, I would say to other people as well. Um, with my oldest son, because he was not home when it happened, um, I was not honest with him about what had happened. I was trying to protect him. I was just like, I was like I'm having a hard time, etc. But I, I wasn't honest about what had happened. And I even denied it when he had asked me. And I think that has been a big piece of getting that relationship to, to a, a better point. Because I felt like I had to not be honest about it. And if you could, if you could go back, would you have done it that differently? I would have asked. I really, really believe, like knowing what I know now, that I would have asked someone to help me be honest with him. Like that, I, I would have maybe tried to have a therapist involved, maybe at his school, that I could be honest about uh, what was going on. Um, so I don't. I wouldn't have just jumped into what had actually happened, but I, I wouldn't have been dishonest about it. I think I would have tried to find a way to communicate it that wouldn't be overwhelming to him. That makes sense. I love that you're, yeah, that you're, you're, you would have asked somebody else, obviously that you trust to yes. help. Yes. 
I didn't yeah. feel like I could do that. Um, so my instinct was to protect him and just not be honest about what had happened. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that kind of, it's gotta be such conflict to state the obvious in addition to everything you're going through, but those kinds of decisions you need to make around communicating with your children or your family or whomever else is, yeah, like I said, I can't imagine. And um, my family, the people closest to me are the ones who really suggested and backed up my not being honest with him as well. It wasn't just my decision. It's like the people who were around me supported that decision, genuinely believed it was the right thing to do until the fallout happened and then they bailed on but during the process, they were, they also believed that kind of pushing it under the rug a bit. I wonder if pushing it under the rug ever works. I don't think it does. I mean, it, it doesn't have to all be on the rug at the same time, all the time. But if, if it's all hidden, I, it can't work. What do you think people misunderstand about? I, I You know what? Obviously, we're talking about suicide. That's what the podcast is about. So I hate to ask a question like, what do people not understand about suicide or suicide attempt survivors? Because it suggests that everybody's the same. And obviously, they're not. And I, I'd be guilty of doing the thing that people don't like, which is that's defining them. But I suppose I'm wondering, like, what, 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 are, what is something in your experience that is really misunderstood about this experience or this decision or I did not want attention I did not want to make life difficult for my family I did not want to uh tarnish my family name I just wanted to die and I didn't think I was going to survive it so I didn't really think about the aftermath if you really want to die and are convinced you're going to die you don't really necessarily think about the aftermath. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's a self-selected group that chooses to come on and share with me, but I've heard that a lot. I think with everyone in which it's come up where it was not a cry for help. It was not a cry for help. I really wanted to do that. Right. Yes. Hmm. Do you have any for lack of a better word, do you have any advice or thoughts for people who are where you were four years ago? I would say that it's okay. Be careful who you do it with, obviously, but it's okay to share what you're thinking. It's okay to talk about what you're feeling. That It's okay that... If you don't talk about it, there is no chance that anybody's going to be able to help. And you have to be somewhat selective about who you talk to and what you say, I guess, in the beginning. Um, only because we live in a society that is so fearful of suicide, so fearful of someone dying on their clock, that you, you have to be careful. But if you find the person that you can trust, 
you can talk about it. I think that would be the first thing. I mean, I'm sure you get that answer all the time. I think another thing would be the hospital's not the end of the world. Like it really isn't. I mean, I have my doctorate. I have like lived a, a world that's not the hospital. And I thought the hospital was uh, the end all be all of all failure and rejection. And it, it wasn't. It was a safe place to be and to explore and to to feel whatever I was feeling and be able to be safe myself and as much as anything for other people to be able to trust that I was safe um, yeah. during yeah. that process. So I, it, the, the scenes you see on, on television or in movies or read about in books about even a short-term emergency psychiatric hospital, which is the worst visions and stories you hear, it it really isn't that bad. It's a lot better than losing your life over pride. Just mm-hmm. you can do it. Like it's 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 not what really anyone wants, but it it really is okay. Pe- good people work there. They want yeah. help. Yeah. Why did you get into that line of work? I'm curious. So that field of study. I knew I wanted to be a social worker like since I was five. Um, so I'm mm. not really sure. Got and it. then the reason I went in the direction of crisis is one of the first classes I took at WashU. Uh, I met a professor in that area who was just like, he just turned me on to all of the amazing things that a social worker could do in that field. And I, I was able to do my practicums at his agency. My first job was there. Um, it just really, it felt right. And I think for the first time in my life, that was something that felt 100% right. Mm. That's got to be a, a, a damn good feeling. Yes. It, it, yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Is there any chance that you'll try again? I guess never say never. Um, no, there there isn't. I cannot do that. I can not do that to my 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 kids again. I can't do it to my family again. And for me, that is first. I I honestly can't say that. I have to put them. I have to look at them and realize that all three of my kids, including my oldest, that I'm a huge part of their lives. I have a child with a, with special needs. I have a child with a disability. He relies on me for most things. I can't do that to them again. And I can't put that on whoever would have to care for him in the future. So just for those reasons, I, I, I would not. Mm. Is there something else you do that helps you get through your days or your weeks or enjoy life? Yes. Uh, I have a black belt in Taekwondo. What? I do. And um, I do that. Uh, even with the pandemic, even with things being down, I've been able to do that streaming uh, where they've run live classes, uh, streaming and homes. Uh, that helps a lot. I did do a lot of the things that I, I, I grew up in a family with not a lot of education, um, kind of a different 
not in a bad way. It's just what they knew was not what I gravitated toward. So reading, writing, listening to music, exploring just different ideas uh, has, I've kind of always been made fun of for doing that or not made fun of, but it's kind of been like, you need to do something like that. That's that matters. Um, So I have allowed myself to do those things because I love them and because they bring me meaning and because I, I place value on them and kind of people in my life have come to adjust. Like, they're a lot more accepting of it but mm. when you grow up with a family when like literally no one graduated high school that that those things are not valued as much sure well i have to uh say and i hope this doesn't sound at all i don't know trite or glib i'm not sure if i'm even using those words correctly that you uh were unsuccessful yes. four years ago you're here, and I have no doubt that your kids and others are better for it. I believe that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else? Uh, I'm sure there's always other things, but I don't always ask all the questions I want to ask that you want to share. I, I, I think that one thing that I still feel like I have to hide, and I, I actually talked about it with you some, that I I hate what it, and I do understand that my oldest son is a 23-year-old young adult living his very egocentric, very normally egocentric 23-year-old young adult male self. Um, I get those things, but um, so it's, it's not all about me. I get that it's not all about me. It's just part of where he is developmentally. I just, I, I think I would say to just, just to stress being honest, as honest as you can, as, as honest as you're safe being. And then also, if you are a family member, if you are a son, if you are a daughter, if you are a spouse, that, that kind of to try to be a, a show a little grace, like give a, mm. a little, that it, it, it wasn't a self-centered act like that. Like I, you can be angry. You can be whatever you are, but show just the slightest bit of grace. Mm. That's a great word. Grace. I hope one day I'll have the chance to do that with my son. Um, I, I believe that I will. Yeah, that would, I think that's just so important that, there doesn't have to be blame. There doesn't have to be like so much um, ongoing anger. Just maybe more of an, an understanding and an acceptance that it, it is something. Yeah. You had shared with me that you share story or storytelling or story crafting in some of your work. Is that right? I did. Yes. Uh, working with um, hearing the stories of people who have lost a, uh, it's occasionally not a child, but most often a child uh, to accidental overdose, typically opioid overdose, heroin overdose, and hearing their stories and sharing their stories, oftentimes for the first time in a positive light. Kind of that 
in in their situation, their their child does not have to be forever the one who died by overdose. Their child can be way more than that. Their child can be the one who was uh, into acting, the one that had the lead of all of the school plays, the one that was the first to, to give someone food from her lunch if they didn't have any, like the one that was whatever. That can be who their child is because that is who their child is. Yeah, for sure. That's important, important work. It's important work. I would love to see more and more of that type of work by those who can do it and facilitate it. Powerful. Me too. Yeah. I know uh, you had shared with me that you uh, don't talk about this stuff often. So I am super uh, appreciative and grateful that you, you said yes to me. Thank you. And you shared so candidly and uh, courageously. So thank you for doing that. Thank you so much. All right, April, have a, uh, have a really good day. Stay well. All right, bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the podcast, help us out by rating or reviewing or subscribing or all of those. It really does help get the word out there. If you have a story you'd like to share, please reach out to us. Hello at suicidenoted.com. There are millions of people who try to take their lives every year, but they don't talk much about it. So if you are open to that, I'd love to talk with you. Until we connect again, please stay strong. I will talk to you soon.